This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier and joining me, the expert medical board of Pimple Poppers, we've got Dr. Rob Mahoney, Professor Wozni Lambray, my distinguished colleagues. Thank you for joining me on this playoff night. Is our long national nightmare over? I feel like I haven't seen a Pimple Popper commercial in 48 hours. I'm living large. Are, are we finally free and clear? You know, I don't even know what you guys are referring to because I watch these games on League Pass. And so I get to enjoy the in-arena entertainment during the awkward kiss cam, you know, uh, weird dancing and stuff like that. That's what I get to watch during commercial breaks. So you are not privy to the Dr. Pimple Popper commercials that have been assaulting us from, from the start. But no, to Rob's point, like, I haven't seen much of them. A lot of the the uh, wing stop and the lemon pepper guy. Sure. Uh, the, yeah. the really scary uh, uh, horror movie commercial. Yeah, the, like evil, the evil dead commercial. Yep. <laughs> but uh, not a lot of pimple poppers. I got to say, though, kind of interested in the pimple popping. Like, what's going on with that guy's head? <laughs> no, absolutely not. What's in nope. there? Nope, nope, nope. Don't want to know. Some things right. are better left unsaid and un- undiscovered. Okay. Uh, that'll be our after after dark podcast potentially. Uh, three games put on that the on Substack <laughs> or OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> three, three games on tonight's docket. Uh, we're gonna get into some suggestion box later on. Maybe a little Tommy Shepard news. Uh, let's start with the last game on tonight's slate. Nuggets one twenty two, Timberwolves one thirteen. Uh, Rob Jamal Murray is back. 
or at least the bubble version. What what a great time for him to show up, especially when the Nuggets concede 40 points themselves in the third quarter. Murray scores 40 overall in this game, though. Um, pretty good sign overall for the Nuggets, no? I, I don't know that you could look at this game overall as a good sign, right? It, it was a bit distressing there in the third, and really... Jamal saved them from a pretty antsy few days and having a lot of questions to answer. But I love a Jamal Murray game under pressure. He is just one of those dudes. And it's great to see, you know, the circle is now complete with Ant Edwards becoming proto Donovan Mitchell down to the fact that Rudy Gobert is his running mate. We've seen this play before, these two guys dueling. Now it's just Jamal and Ant Edwards. And that's a delight. Yeah, that was the really cool thing. He just had a spring in his step that hasn't been there all regular season long. I think he's he's done. We hear about guys sort of ramping up. Um, I think Jamal Murray actually did that this regular season. He didn't start off in this form. Certainly not. Um, and I don't think he was really pressing the issue either. I think he understood that it would be a long road to the postseason. But tonight, the, he was creating separation off the dribble, right, on his step backs and sort of getting to his spots. And then, of course, like his two-man game with Jokic is just, that was just beautiful to see back. So that's a really exciting um, proposition for the Nuggets going forward. However, you mentioned that third quarter. Mm. Woo! Jesus, Lord have mercy. (laughs) It's good to be scared sometimes, you know? Scared for the Nuggets' prospects. Jump scared into thinking Jamal Murray might have blown out his knee again when he landed kind of awkwardly in the middle of this game. But stayed in the game, rallied, was just as active, just as, you know, hustling just as much, getting as much separation as you said was. But yeah, this, uh, I, ho- I would hope this is kind of a reality check for Denver of when you let your guard down, this kind of third quarter is what can, what can happen to you. Yeah, I think that's the question going forward here is how much is that third quarter just indicative of, of what's going to come here? On the one hand, I thought I was pretty optimistic about how it netted out because it did give them and galvanize them to the point where they did have to rally back and Murray had this game and you wonder if that sort of confidence boost or something that he's probably lacked at times if we're being honest throughout the course of the season is maybe a net benefit that's maybe like the best possible scenario that he has one of these games early on and he rolls into the rest of the postseason on the other hand you know if uh, offense that's pretty sludgy at times like the Wolves robs is able to put up 40 on your defense like I don't know. So I guess where do you net out overall on this? Are you more concerned or are you more just like optimistic based on just getting the win and powering through it? I mean, I guess it depends on where you started, right? Me and Waz, we're starting with the assumption that the Nuggets are good enough to win the West despite these limitations, right? This we, They are who we thought they were, right? Yes. They are a team that is capable of ha- like they, they really gave the whole PowerPoint presentation of every doubt in yeah. their ability to contend during that third quarter. But to the point of the Wolves being sludgy, Anthony Edwards is not sludgy, and he was the one carving them up, really. Pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, attacking an iso, beating, you know, Jokic, Gordon, whoever was trying to rotate to the spot, to the rim. That's something that's going to be a challenge for them at every step, no matter who they play, any team that has those kinds of players. I don't know that every team has an athlete like Anthony Edwards, though. You know, they don't always necessarily have someone with that kind of explosiveness. That isn't to say the Nuggets can't find other ways to blow it defensively, because they can and will, but... I see this as more of something that they can endure with their offense, right? You're going to have a good game from Jamal Murray. Nikola Jokic had the quietest 27-point near-triple-double you'll ever see. And Michael Porter Jr. hit some huge clutch baskets, especially in the early fourth quarter when things were getting a little wobbly. So 
to your point, like, is this a confidence booster in, in your esteem of the Nuggets? I think this is probably just kind of affirming wherever you stood in the first place. Yeah, and <laughs> as good as Anthony Edwards is, and and I'm a big Anthony Edwards believer, I think one of the main holes in his game, to be honest, is that he doesn't always get to the rack. Um, that he and even when he's getting there, he's not always finishing explosively um, in a way that you would think that somebody with his athletic gifts would be able to. Right. And so to watch him do that in the third was crazy. I think my main <laughs> my main problem with that third quarter is that it happened while Rudy Gobert was on the floor mm. and no offense with Rudy Gobert on the floor. Should go 17 of 21 against you. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I don't care that you, you know, you went up 15 points and kind of looked at it. It's like we already smoked this team in game one. They're about to lay down and die. We're kind of chilling. We're clearly better than these guys. We're going to smoke them. I understand that. Like, the team that's up 15 is going to play with less desperation and less effort than the team that is not. I, like, it's just human nature. These guys, they can read the scoreboard. They understand what it's going to take to sort of finish it, finish this thing out. I, I get all of that. That being said, like, as explosive as Ant is for him to just be getting blatant layups. And I'm, I'm seeing Rudy catch the ball on four and threes and throwing lasers to guys. I'm just, just, it was just not... That was that was a nasty, scary display. But as again, as Rob mentioned, as as terrible as that thing looked um, in the third, in the fourth, man, when when Murray and, and Jokic are doing what they do, and inevitably, like other teams are going to be like, hold on, I, like I really have to plug that Murray situation up, and that's going to open up so much more on the weak side in the back end for these other guys who were great at movement, great at cutting. Um, and, and, you know, Michael Porter Jr. just doesn't miss when he gets an open look. Uh, they, their offense is, is legitimately scary again. Was it offense from Rudy Gobert or was it just like discreet bare knuckle boxing? Because there were some times there where like he and Jokic were practically committing like secret assault on each other uh, and then would at the same time pretend like they've never committed a foul in their entire life. It was really a masterclass of walking the line between like near murder <laughs> and, and just like not doing anything at all, just being complete like upstanding citizens. Tell me the playoff series where that's not happening right now, right? <laughs> I guess. The refs well, also, are letting Justin, guys play. You know, these are two European bigs. We always hear about, oh, the game is so much more physical in Europe. And so, you know, they're just reform reverting back to form. <laughs> I guess. It also, I, I have to say, like the the, the flopping to the point oh, until God. the whistle blows has also filtered down to their team, especially on the Nuggets. Like there were multiple times where Aaron Gordon was on the floor and you'd think he'd just like broken half of his face and then the whistle blows and he's like, all right. I'm getting up. The two charges <laughs> that Mike Conley drew on Jamal Murray. Some good salesmanship. I, the one, you know what? That move where you jump in, jump back into the defender, even though Murray didn't actually jump back. He sort of just like stiffened his arm and let him run into it. Um, That's a borderline. The other one where the dude just ran into his back and they called it on Murray, the guy with the ball in his hand standing still. Uh, That was that was despicable. Um, refereeing there. Uh, that, that guy deserves to be fined or something. Um, put on notice, a, a warning or something, whoever made that call. But uh, yeah, the flopping was was a, a bit much coming down the stretch of this. 
So Nuggets also shortened the rotation at this point, what we expected, probably why we're seeing them a little tighter than we did toward the end of the regular season. I think my question, Rob, is do we think that's going to give them an edge, especially as we carry on into the second round and maybe into the third? Because on the one hand, you look at the potential next round, Clippers, Suns, like, okay, not a lot of heft there. I guess DeAndre Ayton, but we've seen Ayton kind of come and go. But then, like, I don't know, maybe the Lakers are going to be looming there in the West Finals. We'll get to them later. They're basically running an eight-man rotation with Jeff Green. We'll get to the Lakers laws. Just just hold, hold, hold on. Uh, Jeff Green is basically like a small ball center, and it's working. I guess it's the seven-man rotation because Christian Braun only got seven minutes here. Like, but do we think this is like them enhancing a strength and that's going to ultimately benefit them? Or is this more of a worry spot where it's like, you know, they're kind of riding the lightning here? They are riding the lightning. I think walking the line of that is going to be, can they get out of this series in relatively short order and not have, especially Jokic, have to do a lot of manual labor to dig them out of close games like this? If they can ride big leads and get some separation then obviously it's not as big of a deal if you're playing your starters huge minutes. This is one of the best and most complete starting fives in the NBA. It's going to be their strength throughout these playoffs. They're just going to have to make do with the other minutes. And I mean, this might be a best case scenario Jeff Green game. I can't say I love the Jeff Green, Aaron Gordon, 4-5 combo as your backup situation, but maybe I like it better than DeAndre Jordan. You know, like if, if those are the options, like, you know, I, I, apparently Zeke Naji is kind of out of the mix there. That would that would have been my preferred choice. But given what we have, they're making do. They, they made those bench minutes work. It was some of the other stuff in the third quarter that really fell apart for them. Uh, anything else on this one? Or should we, should we move on? Anthony Edwards just, you know, he's, he's must-see TV every time he touches the floor. Uh, there was just moments where, you know, he's making these fadeaways, falling to the baseline, just incredible, incredible stuff. And, you know, that made me excited for next year watching this guy um, and, and just seeing where he could take it. But the Anthony Edwards part of this is cool. And I think it was cool to just see the Timberwolves not lay down and die, man. You know, you they, they do all of this desperation playing to play in. They get smoked you know, on the road in game one of this series. And it was nice to see them put forth an incredible effort and make this an actual game, make Denver have to sweat and play this out to the last possession damn there. So I want to tip my cap to them for for that, you know. Yeah, Even the, though it's our job to watch this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the first half obviously did not go well for them, but Minnesota, they had the right idea of setting up Ant to attack, of establishing Gobert as a role option and a threat inside. It didn't work initially, but when they were able to kind of refine their approach in the second half, it really popped. The trade-off for that, and something that's kind of interesting to watch in this series, is Carl Towns is kind of incidental to everything that's happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 10 points for him in this game, just 12 shots. He's, he's proven to be the kind of guy who you can't just, like, find over the course of a game, who you can trust to find his place in the flow. If you don't make a concentrated effort to get him the ball you're going to lose him sometimes. And we've seen that throughout his playoff career. So this is kind of another interesting wrinkle of this too big alignment and dilemma that Minnesota has is if you can only emphasize one of those two guys early in the game to try to establish them as an option, do you want to establish Cat as a real, especially post-up threat, or are you trying to get Rudy on the roll to establish him inside? Because, I mean, no matter what you pick, you risk kind of losing track of the other guy. Yeah, so Towns had 11 in game one. He finishes his game two with 
with 10. Uh, n- everyone was bad in game one. They scored 80 points. It was a complete just flush of the, the game down the toilet sort of game. Um, I, I do think, Waz, that's the question going forward here is like, I don't think it's coincidence that Edwards tends to get lost when Towns is prioritized and vice versa. I mean, I hate to, to, to default to offseason mode, but I almost wonder if we're saying that the Nuggets are going to come out of this series, which I think we all believe, yeah. like, is this sort of a mini audition on the highest stage for for this sort of setup if they have to do anything extreme over the offseason? I don't think so because... One, they brought in Rudy this year, which disturbed the sort of dynamic of what they had sort of kind of established last year. And then they finally got rid of D'Lo, which was also nice, but also Towns was out. So they haven't really been able to play for real under this new paradigm. I think there's definitely fruit to be born. Like this, you know, leveraging what Carl Towns does with that lightning quick release from three for a guy like Ant Edwards is going to mean the world to, to, to how he's able to attack defenses, man. I, and I don't think he's, he, he's, he's proven that he can figure stuff out. You know, he isn't just a one-trick pony um, in attacking these defenses. And I think with a little bit more time and understanding where, where Rudy's going to be and what he's going to do, um, and the Conley part of it, too. I, I, I believe in Conley's presence there. Somebody who can even help him along in that, in that right um, or regard. I, I, man, I, I don't think that's something you should give up on. I really do think he, Carl Towns is a beautifully ideal piece to put next to Ant. I mean, this is this series is good data for Minnesota. Like you're going to see some guys in different contexts. I wouldn't make sweeping assumptions or decisions about your team based on whether the Nuggets beat you. The Nuggets are really good, and they're the heavy favorite in the series for a reason. You'll get a look at what this what this feels like. You'll get to roll into next season with a full training camp and some offseason additions. I, I wouldn't make moves based on whether Nikola Jokic beats you. Hmm. Um, all right, let's uh, let's flip to the first game of the night here. Uh, Grizzlies 103, Lakers 93. Uh, Waz, I'm going to give you a choice here. Your all-everything center who looks like a goddamn MVP defensive juggernaut in game one shoots ni- uh, 29% from the field, his worst field goal percentage in 36 playoff games, or your point guard shoots two for 11, Oh absolutely God. dies on defense every possible opportunity. I believe he threw a lazy inbound pass at one point and then somehow fouled a three-point shooter. Um, I'm, of course, talking about Anthony Davis, D'Angelo Russell. Who is worse in this game for you? I miss D'Lo. It's always going to be D'Lo. Uh, Anthony <laughs> Davis was was actually erasing major, major problems and mistakes on the other end um, because it's his job to, quite frankly. Uh, D'Lo was, he was a tire fire on defense, as always. And some of these turnovers, man, this guy, like, there was this idea back in the days that he was all, he was such a, he had such great court vision and he was just such a good pick and roll person and he could, his passes were just flawless and, dude, he sucks. He sucks at this. He's so bad. He should not be on the ball. And to be honest, man, I think it's proof that LeBron, something's wrong with him right now. Oh, yeah. Because the idea that he's allowing D'Angelo Russell to manage possessions, like I'm talking about large chunks at a time, when there was plenty of times in the past where it's just like, yo, LeBron, get off the ball. Let somebody else do something with it. And he's letting D'Lo do this. 
and be a disaster at it. Like, I just know he just doesn't have it in him to do this because D'Lo's just awful. And the idea that you're going to, you know, pay this dude a significant sum of money um, to stay on this team this summer is, is just crazy. Yeah, AB stunk up the joint. I will say that. He looked very listless at times, especially on offense. Uh, this was not one of his better performances. But D'Lo, man, and, and, and the reason why it gets on my nerves, too, is not one just because LeBron needs to get on the ball more. They got Dennis Schroeder. We watched Austin Reeves close the freaking game. They have three other people that could be doing this. Like, this dude needs to just spot up and never be heard from again. That's it. <laughs> well, to, to flip the who was worst question, who was the best player in this game, and why was it Xavier Tillman? <laughs> nuts. Uh, after the, Grizz after the uh, Wolves game, they flashed back to the TNT like booth. And you know how they have those like those big screens in the back. On one side you had Jamal Murray. On the other side you had Xavier Tillman. <laughs> I mean, damn what a straight. night, man. Yeah. He, uh, look, honestly, one of the most satisfying kinds of playoff experiences is when you get an improbable breakout game from like a defense first role player. Yep. This was perfect. Twenty two points on thirteen shots, thirteen rebounds. He legit exposed some of the Lakers like really sloppy defensive rotations in this game. Mm -hmm. There was just no help the helper going on at all for LA was not happening was nasty and to put this in context for people who aren't super fluent in the Xavier Tillman experience uh he's basically like he will be a complete non-threat on offense for months at a time and then randomly have a game like this where he has like 20 points other other than that he, this is not what he does not this kind of player at all and yet the Lakers allowed him to be yeah, I, I think this is probably, unfortunately, for our friend Xavier, more of, of a Lakers discussion. I mean, sh should we just have the LeBron talk now? Yes. I, th I th think you already kind of started us off here. So in, in game one, uh, these stats, courtesy of our friend Michael Pina and the PC did the other day, uh, four free throws, five drives the entire game, half of his attempts coming from three, one shot in the fourth quarter. LeBron's stats look better in this one, 28 points, 12 rebounds, three assists. Uh, the one for eight from three, looking mighty bad. 12 from 23, not ideal. I just think like just what you're seeing on the court there is just like there's something off with them. Clearly, he is delaying foot surgery or whatever LeBron of feet is going to do to him after in the offseason. Um, I got to... I got to imagine, Rob, that like there's going to be a bounce back game coming here from LeBron. Just like Dylan Brooks is talking shit to him right to his face and then also to reporters after the game. But I don't know what LeBron, what peak LeBron can we even get at this point? I don't know. And this was, this was a concerningly efficient performance. And he obviously had an efficient stat line, but I'm talking efficiency of movement. This was a guy who did not want to move until he had to, did not want to guard until he had to, did not want to drive until he had to. When LeBron has attacked in this series, he's getting great looks. Like, he's getting to his spots. He's doing well. He's obviously was incredibly productive in this game. There's just a total difference in volume between LeBron at 38 with a foot problem and the guy who basically, like, revolutionized mismatch basketball, right? That player is gone. The idea of, like, LeBron hunting Luke Kennard over and over in this game is not going to happen. Uh, and that's that's why how you end up with Dylan Brooks talking lots of shit all the time. And really, my favorite moment of this game uh, Ian Eagle, you know, there's Dylan Brooks had a shot. He was staring down LeBron. Ian Eagle's like, oh, Brooks is staring down LeBron. LeBron's not returning his gaze. 
the Chiron comes up and it's like Dylan Brooks, nine points, four of 12 shooting. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is the Dylan Brooks experience, my friends. But the Grizzlies are, you know, not only is Brooks guarding LeBron, they're just like, you know, David Roddy. Yeah, here, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Tillman, man. Tillman, guard LeBron for a little bit. So yeah. here's the thing about the matchup hunting. Um, but like in the past, when LeBron was doing that, especially when guys would be slow on the switch, he would just take it to the rack. Like, and that's part of it. Sometimes it would be like Festus Azili is coming out to guard him at three at the three-point line. Sorry, Ben. And he's just blowing right by him and getting to the rack, right? If Tillman is guarding you 28 feet from the basket, LeBron needs to be able to take him to the rack. Not even, like, completely blow by him, but, like, put that dude on your hip and be able to finish at the basket on Tillman. I understand why you might not want to do that against Jaron Jackson III. Like, I understand that, right? Junior. Junior, excuse me, Triple J. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting my numbers confused. Um, <laughs> I understand why you might not want to do that. The guy did just win Defensive Player of the Year. But when you can't attack, and, and even when he's attack, when he's posting up Dylan Brooks, they're not sending hard doubles. They're kind of zoning him up and shading him, sort of Thibodeau style. And so, like, I don't, you know, he's not being decisive. I, I, he's, I think it's, I, I genuinely think it's something wrong with him. Like, for real. Yeah, clearly. He's just not beating anyone off the dribble anymore, which is a lot, was forcing him to kind of sit back. And that's when he tends to jack threes. And in this one, he's one for eight. And it's just not going to work there. There just wasn't enough and support there, which is kind of why it ultimately always becomes an Anthony Davis conversation. Um, I don't know. This just seemed... I don't think there was anything particularly troubling with this Davis performance. It just seems like he has these here and there. He definitely got hit in the face a couple of times. I mean, it's becoming comical at this point, just like how much he falls like ass backwards into some someone injuring him, like the point where he got elbowed in the eye in like a jump ball at center court. It's just like he has the worst luck of any human athlete playing sports these days. He's just going to like, just by existing, he's going to get hurt like two to three times a game. We um, all get hurt just by existing, Justin. That's that's really the human experience, <laughs> isn't it? And, but, um, and, and look, the Grizzlies have neutralized the LeBron and AD pick and roll, which in the past has been so effective because teams couldn't switch it, right? Like LeBron would blow by your big and if you put a small guy somehow on him, he would absolutely destroy the dude. Um, they've neutralized that. D'Angelo Russell is who we who we all know him to be. Not very good, at least not right now, anyway. And you know, for whatever reason, they're not letting Dennis cook. To to me, you gotta let Dennis Schroeder and Austin Reeves initiate pick and roll with this guy. Right now, they seem like the best options. Like Austin Reeves is, you know, like he's been doing all year. He's generating contact, and um, Dennis is the few guy that could beat a switch. If a big man is guarding him out to three, he can actually blow by this dude. He's one of the few people on the team who can actually do that off the bounce. And so, you know, I think they could be different about how they attack on offense. And yeah, some of the stuff that, some of the stuff they gave up defensively was just embarrassing. I just knew this Lakers letdown was coming. And, and to be clear, I know we're going to get into 
the wide open West and the Lakers have as good a shot as anybody allegedly to come out of the West. Um, I don't, I don't think Memphis can beat the Lakers without John Moran. I think eventually, even if it took seven games, the Lakers would beat this team without Ja. I don't think they're beating anybody else with any credibility in these playoffs. That's the thing, right? You're right. They they will do things differently. They can try lots of things. This game felt like a needed reminder to the world that the Laker half-court offense is not very good and has not been good all season. Slice and dice the data, the schedule, however you want, before the trades, after the trades. It was never good. This is what we are. You know, this is this is what we have been given all year from the Lakers. They have improved. But like Kenny Smith was talking at halftime about how this game was like the Lakers not respecting their opponent. I think there were moments where that was true. You know, your Xavier Tillman moments. Certainly there was some of that. But was that really what happened in this game? Because to me, it felt like an injured team without John Morant playing a pretty flawed team that has been flawed for a long time. I think we're taking a little too far. Here. Are we? Oh, well, here we go. <laughs> here we go. To, to completely discredit like everything the Lakers have done since the trade deadline, I think is a bit far here. And I'm not like who, who not is someone doing who, that. Like I'm I, just saying, it sounds offense. like both of you. <laughs> no, no, it sounds like Verrier is discrediting the triple overtime Jazz game that was resting every single good player left on a team that they hadn't already traded away. Listen, I, am I I'm discounting not, that? I'm not the guy when their with the playoff with the... lives were on the line. <laughs> I'm not the guy with the Lakers chain, like flashing in your face and then okay. putting up the L and the Lakers. Lakers. Okay. That's not me right now. Like I have, okay. I have serious doubts about like what the Lakers can do in the first round. I'll have doubts about them in the second round. I'll have doubts about them if they ever make it to the West finals. I just think that like the bracket has like worked out pretty nicely for them. And it's like, yes, the Kings are playing absolutely lights out, but the Warriors don't really have the, the front court to threaten them. And I think AD, if optimized, would be a, a really big threat to what has been a pretty soft underbelly of a front court there. So like the path is there. It's not necessarily the Lakers are world beaters. It's just like they're good enough in a completely muddled Western conference that they could do this. And I do think like there's enough probably here, even with John Morant back there to come away from this pretty shitty performance and bounce back from it. I would like to see a little bit more Michael, uh, not Michael Beasley, God, uh, Malik Beasley, <laughs> Michael Beasley, Lake, Lakers legend, Malik Beasley, current Lakers legend. Um, like if it felt like it was a little too easy to guard them because you could just pack the paint and not worry about the shooters. If you had a little bit more space there, then you get AD going. Then Austin Reeves doesn't have to beat people off the dribble. He's a little bit more better going in between in and out guys. It, it's just, it's this is a bad game, and I have concerns. But I think like let's let's pump the brakes on the Lakers are the fucking Houston Rockets, you know. <laughs> okay. No okay. one is said. Look, let's talk tomorrow when the tracking data comes out and LeBron took like twelve total steps in this game. Yeah, I listen. You know? I, I I can't say that they are, are world beaters, you know, but. I think if there's still Le some stuff here. If LeBron looked like the guy, basically, you know, for most of last season, he was pretty damn good. Like, <laughs> on the dumpster fire Russell Westbrook team, right? Like, he, LeBron personally was good. He was good he this was, year, too. He was running in transition, doing all of those things. The guy that I'm watching right now who will not take anybody to the hole is not that player. 
And did, again, he's they beat the lying. Grizzlies in game one with Jaw, though. So okay, yes, and Austin Reeves looked like Jordan. <laughs> Rui Hachimura was Reggie Miller. Like I know I'm <laughs> dating myself with these references, but like this has to matter at a certain point. And like the dude is lying about not needing foot surgery. He's just lying to us. He knows he needs it, but he doesn't want to come out and say that because it's you know you don't want to show that type of weakness. So, like, knowing that it came out initially that the guy would need surgery, he's back and he's playing and he barely wants to move. What, what else am I supposed to do with that? He's the most important player on the team, or if not the second most, if you want to count AD, and he's not himself. I don't know why I should think they're going to cook. If Steph Curry was at 60 70% of his capabilities, we wouldn't think the Warriors could win. Same with, you know, the Suns, if that was the case with KD. Same with uh, the Nuggets, if that was the case with Jokic. Why should I think this with a much worse team? I don't understand that. <laughs> it's a 1-1 one, one series against the, the number <laughs> two right. team in the West. All right. <laughs> like, I just love that we're backing Justin into this corner where he's going to be part of like deep state Lakers Twitter oh in God, five days. Dude. I know. Oh Listen, goodness. I'll say this. Like Rui Hachimura is doing a lot on offense for this team. Like they're really coming down to like Rui exactly. attacking this message. But like, it's... here's the thing. They, at the deadline, they loaded up on options so that if one guy isn't doing it, they could plug and play someone else. D'Lo is going to have one game a series, maybe, where he shows up and hits some threes. Like, there are options here. They just need to cycle through them and get through enough of them. The fact that they split in Memphis is something. And so we'll see. It's kind of where I know. Justin, you might want to start Photoshopping that purple and gold onto Kyrie. <laughs> Make yourself useful as a Laker fan, please. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we talk a little more about the Grizzlies though? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Uh Jaron Jackson Jr., I thought maybe had the best game of his career in game one was gonna be yeah. hard to follow that up. He was insane. Obviously was not as sensational offensively, but I thought his ability to get to the line in this one was really critical. And that's what we've seen over these first two games from him. Whether they have space, whether they don't, he's finding ways to either bully his way to the rim against Yururi Hachimura's or dig out offensive rebounds, like draw fouls on drives. That stuff's really important for his development. It's going to be one of those things that's crucial whether you have Ja or not. And it kept them afloat during stretches of this game where they're all, like the, the floor fell out on the Memphis offense at points in the second half. And the fact that he was able to generate some points at all, I thought kind of bailed them out of this game. Waz just doesn't even want to comment. I mean, like, <laughs> not even on Jaron Jackson the third. No, look, he was he, he. I like what he did on defense. Um, he, you know, he got dangerously close to terrible Jaron Jackson fouls. Um, where that could that could have literally cost them because if this guy's not playing, you know, even with all the effort and the gritting and the grinding that this team does, uh, that's that's not going to be good. So. I thought he was good. I, I thought, look, I, I thought what Dylan Brooks did against LeBron was impressive. Like, he didn't back down. He would, bruh, he would not spend any time not touching LeBron on defense. As soon as LeBron hit half court, he was freaking forearm shivering him as soon yeah. as he crossed half court. Like, he took that assignment so seriously. And so when he wants to talk all of this crap after the game, guess what, man? He did that. And it wasn't always on the island, but he held up when he had to. I thought that was really impressive. And, you know, other than that, I don't, you know, I don't think any De Desmond Bain in the first half was incredible. Um, he looked like a, a damn near borderline all-star kind of player 
uh, you know, he he's the one that that created some separation for them in that first quarter and first half. So like, yeah, the guys played well, but I mean, did, did you see, like did you see this as like wow the Grizzlies without John Morant they just they were just world beaters out there. I, no. I did not feel that way watching this game. No, 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 no. Of course at not. all. The Lakers <laughs> just laid down, unfortunately. Yes, that's what happened. I feel like the Lake. I feel like the Lakers Lakered. You know. Yeah, this is what you get. Classic. These coastal, classic coastal elitists. It's not <laughs> being appreciative of what you have. Yeah, yeah. is uh, that what like, coastal elitism now is? Now? I, they clearly ain't have enough ribs on Bill Street. They played <laughs> like they had too many. I'm Maybe. telling you, they played like a team that just bodied three bowls and mashed potatoes, some baked beans, and it was like, all right, let's play an NBA playoff game. Was who among us has not? I know, right. Uh, Brooks after the game on LeBron James. I don't care. He's old. I poke bears. I don't respect someone until he gives me 40. Did That's you see what, what he was Brooks wearing? When he's, yes, he said that. But you got to look what he's wearing. He's wearing white sunglasses <laughs> inside of the locker room. His shirt is completely unbuttoned. And yeah, th- th- like he's, he's so basically what character. JV is wearing right now is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. That's he's why playing. I'm mad. Just, just taping <laughs> your style before I could do it. Yeah, yeah. he's playing yeah, this... up the heel character, but he's doing a fantastic job of it. Honestly. Oh yeah, the shit talk is is pretty nice, pretty inventive. You know, him saying he wished he had a chance to guard Miami or Cleveland, LeBron, because it would have been harder. <laughs> That's beautiful stuff. Beautiful. Uh, he's got his AEW audition tape going right now. Uh, it's good to have fallback careers. You know, that's what we're getting out of this. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20 for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's 2 for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Um, all right, uh, last game on the docket. Tough one to watch because the other two were going simultaneously. Uh, Bucks 138. Heat 122. <laughs> Fortunately, there wasn't much to watch in this one uh, because the Bucks absolutely 
bodied the heat here. Mm-hmm. Uh, 51% from three on 49 three-point attempts. Uh, I watched the first half of this game and Drew Holiday looked like, I don't know, like like prime LeBron at times, the way that like he was warping the defense, like putting guys into the post and then just spraying it out to three-point shooters. Um, Rob, what, what's your kind of takeaway from this one? If you could find someone amidst all the blood. Oh, I think there's definitely takeaways. I think, if anything, the three-point shooting, which was crazy for Milwaukee, that was kind of like the the reaction to the actual action, which was... It was this as it was as if the Bucks woke up the morning after game one and remembered they're bigger at every position, even without Giannis. And especially look, Jimmy Butler is guarding Drew. Bam Adebayo was guarding Giannis initially. Now he's guarding Bobby Portis. That means our friend Max Struess is guarding Brooke Lopez. That that is the layout of the land here. And the Bucks finally remembered that they could practically like you could see the walkthrough on Bobby Portis's face when he caught the ball wide open at the three-point line. Bobby Portis turned down a wide-open shot and immediately is feeding Brooke Lopez. They're just like throwing lobs to him over the top of fronting defenses, letting Brooke hit the offensive glass. It just became so obvious that if they move the ball enough, either Portis or Lopez is going to get the ball inside against someone who is tiny. And once they established that, the Heat started freaking out. And they, they short-circuited and they could not cover the arc and every Bucks role player started hitting. Yeah, and this also feels like a series where one team, since the bubble debacle, has made it their mission to destroy Miami's soul. Ever since they got pantsed in the bubble by the Heat, where everybody, and, and this is what people forget when they're like, oh, Giannis got the MVP. People were questioning and stuff. He got embarrassed, dude, after winning that MVP. Like, people were like, what in the hell is going on with this guy and his team? You know, and that's before losing four in a row. Um, after, excuse me, losing four in a row to um, Kawhi Leonard uh, in the playoffs in 2019, right? And, but ever since then, Whenever Miami is on the calendar, I swear they they did they just they're just out for blood against these guys. Game one was an aberration. Um, they've seen the they seem to own these cats and fig completely figured them out, and and that was plainly evident in this game. Yeah, game one, if anything, felt like it kind of illustrated the tangible difference to me between games where you know what you're getting into and games where you don't. Right. The Bucks had a game plan. They roll out there with Giannis. Giannis is to leave in relatively short order. They were clearly like pretty shaken up, just like did not know where to go offensively. But if you're better prepared, all that stuff that looked really hard in game one, Chris Middleton like gutting out tough shots, Drew Holiday, I mean, whatever he shot in game one, like 25% from the field or something, all of a sudden that's cleaned up. Like you have game plan, you have direction, everything's opening up, all your shooters start hitting, everything starts to feel like it's going downhill a little bit. And that's where the Bucks got to in this game is just like strength of game planning, ease of execution. They're just a much better team. And if Giannis comes back, I think it's going to put a punctu- punctuation on that. But ultimately, they're, they're good enough to beat the Heat even without him. Yeah, that was kind of the sobering fact I took away from this one is that the Bucks without Giannis looked like they could just steamroll the Heat here. I mean, Pat Connaughton got in there. That was good to see. He looked like kind of the playoff wild card that he has been in years past. But like, man, the Heat were just so overmatched. They had to start Duncan Robinson. So they were already playing from behind because Tyler Hero had the broken hand. Victor Oladipo gets 26 minutes in this one. And like, that yeah. okay? I, I mean, guess. Losing, but even losing Tyler Hero is a brutal blow for Miami. Yeah. It's just like this. This feels like the type of dispiriting loss where 
you probably have to look yourself in the mirror and be like, damn, we just don't have it. Like, I wonder if Pat Riley does his season ending press conference where he calls out half the team just like in the middle of the series. <laughs> At this point, there, it, something needs Was to change earning here. earning an eighth seed in the East not an indication enough that, damn, we Oof. don't have it? <laughs> I know. But when Jimmy game has games status. like game one, you're like, man, this guy can do anything. And it's very clear that he cannot overcome just like everything. That's, that's what that's I was going to say. I think Jimmy is yeah. still an incredible player, still an incredible awesome. playoff performer. Uh, one of the best at his position, honestly. Uh, like, you know, this Kawhi and this KD and all of that stuff. But after that, man, give me Jimmy, you know, uh, above a lot of these wing guys. But the team is just so depleted um, and, and their resources have been used in such misguided ways, man. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, honestly, coming out of game one, Jimmy was so good. And Drew Holiday was expending so much energy trying to guard him. I kind of had the thought of like, okay, Giannis is going to be out. Who do you want to start instead? Do you throw like a Jay Crowder in there to just like guard Jimmy Butler? I'm not like Jay hasn't been great. His defense hasn't been very good, honestly. But just because Drew is now going to be so important to driving your offense, they managed to do it without that. Like they started Bobby Portis. They started huge. They Jimmy or Drew still guarding Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler still has a really good game. And yet they were able to just shut down almost everything else. And even the numbers you see from this game, if you didn't watch it, it it seems like based on the box score closer than it was. There was some yeah. fourth quarter like, you know, goosing of the numbers and especially the three point shooting for Miami was a complete reversal from game one. That's kind of what they're going to be. If Miami hits a ton of threes, they're going to be in some of these games. If they don't, they're going to lose pretty quickly. Uh, and you can see that in guys like Kevin Love, for example, one of the heroes of game one for Miami, complete non-factor in game two. Yeah, this game was probably over when I think it was in the first quarter and Kyle Lowry tried to flop his way to a call. And I think he got it on Bobby Portis. And Bobby Portis had some very choice words for him. Just went right at him for the jugular and got a tech. And Lowry in, in last year's postseason injured, but like really the totem of that team, you know, the guy that will just grind it out, a real dog who will just make things happen. He really kind of got punked at that point and then at, through the rest of the game. I think it's really kind of crystallizes where I think the Heat and the Bucks are at this point. The Bucks are like the top dog and the Heat are kind of licking their wounds. They got that top dog in them is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right now the Heat got, got the mid dog, you know? <laughs> it comes for us all. Yeah. Um, quickly, a, couple, a little bit of news just before we get to the suggestion box here. Uh, Tommy Shepard fired in, in Washington, D.C. Probably not all that surprising, but a little bit if you know the Heat's track record. So he takes over for Ernie Grunfield. Who the Wizards' was, track record. What did I say? You said the heat. heat. I said the Heat? Yeah. Got heat on the brain. Mm. Uh, the Wizards, uh, Ernie Grunfield led the Wizards for what? 50 years? 60? Yep. A minute. Um, yeah, and then uh, Shepard was his number two. He assumed the top position after a brief flirtation with, um, I believe, Tim Connolly, what, in, in the 2018-2019 offseason. Yeah, like so. the Pittsburgh Steelers of not firing people, but only no championships. Yeah, but he's out now. Uh, four seasons finished with a 42% winning percentage. Apparently, the tipping point was not making the playoffs twice in a row, which, like, <laughs> it's like they didn't get to 40 wins as opposed to, like, 37 or whatever it was. Uh, I think the one ripple effect here, though, Rob, is it seems like they're going to search again outside 
of the doors of the facility, which probably was a problem this time around. I will I'll give Shepard credit for this. It seemed like Grunfeld was the type of person who was only trying to make the most out of an already mediocre team, and he sacrificed draft picks for that. Shepard went the opposite way. Unfortunately, none of those draft picks worked. So yeah. I don't know. I, I think the question here is like, do you hand it over to someone and to to keep doing a similar thing, keep aspiring to the middle, or do you bring in someone, a real house flipper, to really tear this down to the studs and let's start fresh here? I mean, I don't think we need to pretend that even your top executive is the one who's aspiring to the middle. Like no one mm. becomes a general manager to become an eighth seed, right? Like that's not <laughs> what they're doing. Well, once once the the check cashes, I think it changes some minds. This is what this is what I'm saying. Like people take a job, they do the best with what they have. Ultimately, there's going to be like certain motivations, certain directions, especially at the ownership level that are going to dictate what kind of team you are. And that's dictated what the Wizards have been for a long time. That said, within those confines, you know, Rui Hachimura with the ninth pick, Denny Avdia with the ninth pick, Corey Kisper with the 15th pick, Johnny Davis with the 10th pick, that'll get you fired. You know, like you get, not to say that any of those are, I mean, some of them are not great. None of them are, are totally disastrous yet. I guess we'll see on Johnny Davis. He's barely played in the NBA at this point, which is not great in itself. But you got to hit with something, you know? You, you can't be making those kinds of picks and be giving Davis Bertans $80 million. Like, you're you're just not going to be in that job for that long. Waz, I hate even asking you, but can we get Bradley Beal out of Washington for once? Like, I'm even sick of asking the question because I think all of signs have pointed <sighs> to him leaving for five years at this point. But like, can this please be the the tipping point where they decide to finally set him free? Yeah, but who's a candidate at this point? I don't think he's a Knicks candidate. It doesn't feel like it. Maybe those guys that get desperate over there, but he doesn't feel like a Knicks guy. And beyond that, I I don't think I don't think the Nets are necessarily too thirsty to try to go in that direction. Uh who are these teams that are sort of on the cusp? Maybe Dallas would have been somebody who would have tried like hell to do it, but mm, that's done. <laughs> what about Miami? I guess Miami's always sort of in the mix for every single superstar that's ever existed since Pat Riley took that job 30 years ago. But sure, I mean, sure, I would be intrigued by that. I just don't see it like a real... You know, like some people would have said, oh, Toronto should try to get in the mix, right? Because um, they're like, quote unquote, right there. But I mean, like, is Toronto like way better spending $60 million on Bradley Beal? That's the thing. That makes him like really counterproductive and I think cost prohibitive to specifically, Toronto is not in this group, but small markets. Teams that are not that willing to spend that are very conscious of the luxury tax. Why would you pay... Bradley Beal salary for the Bradley Beal product. It doesn't really make sense. I don't even think they'll get the opportunity too, because he has a no trade clause, so he's going to dictate wherever he goes if he goes Fair. anywhere. Yeah, like for it's instance, just like, if if you were Denver, right, and things didn't work out for you this year, and you wanted to sh- switch things up, and you were like, "Yo, we'll throw Michael Porter in there," or or Jamal Murray, God forbid, right? If you became that fed up, is Bradley Beal the kind of guy you do that for? I don't think so. No, not with the injuries. Um, I I don't know. I, I feel like a team that's veteran-laden and desperate enough, like the Heat, who has quietly, we should mention, been stockpiling draft picks for a situation like this, 
in years recent years, the Heat have been out of all the the negotiation uh, sort of assets in order to make a deal like this. They only have one pick owed to the, I believe, the Thunder in 2025 that becomes unprotected in 2026. And so, like, you could see a team like that just being like, "Here, have our draft, start fresh." Because we should note here that Kristaps Porzingis had a really good year, but he is a free agent this summer. There were reports of a contract negotiation. I wonder if this is that's kind of scuttled now with the front office uh, changing over. Kyle Kuzma, same situation. So you do have a clear point where you can blow it up. I hate like the idea of needing to do that because I do think there are more nuanced ways to build with someone in-house like Bradley Beal, but clearly they've kind of tried that already and it hasn't worked. I think the clock might have run out on that that sort of like, approach. But think about it though, Justin. Think about like all the tough talking that Portland did. Does that make sense for them? I know. Like, I know. Oh, we're going to get into the veteran business. Let's move on from Shade and Sharp and all of these picks and Bring in Brad Beal. Like, well, here's a question. Not, no great shakes for them either. What is Brad Beal's like optimal role on a contending team? And what is that team? Third option, probably. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Bro, I agree. His number, though, and I know the cap exactly. is going to go up and spike. Like, He's not on the Wiggins rookie max deal, right? Where Wiggins gets traded and he becomes this sort of ancillary thing on a rookie max deal on the richest team in the history of the sport. He's not that. He's on a real max deal. <laughs> Let me throw this out here. Would you rather have Bradley Beal on his contract or Kyrie Irving on, let's just say, a four-year contract if you're the Mavericks? God. Bradley Bill. Yeah. Bradley Bill has never. <laughs> but if we're just talking about the player, though? Bradley Bill is not a black Israelite. Sorry. <laughs> Give me Bradley Bill. Thank oh, you. Uh, but if we're just talking about the player, I, I do think Kyrie is more impactful than than Beal has over the past two three years at this point. What is the like? How can you separate the player from know, the I chaos know. agent? You know, <laughs> I know, but I, I, it's just, it's just such a weird situation where one team is valuing as one of the top ten players in the NBA, but we're saying here that he's like a number three on a good team. It's just like, it's tough to to bridge that gap in a negotiation. There was a time with like Bradley Beal, because he's you know he's fairly athletic or he was fairly athletic you know, pretty long, so he played bigger than his position, you know, where you could be like, man, this guy, was he's got two-way ability. Um, he's got one-on-one -on -one stuff that you could use at the end of games. He was thought of. Yo, man, when he got drafted, they was throwing around Ray Allen comparisons to this dude and his shooting ability, right? But, like, nobody's falling for that shit anymore. Everybody knows who this guy is. And so to pay him... Like he's a Jokic, you know, like he's a Carl Towns. He got the same deal as those dudes, you know. And and, and I think him and Carl Towns are pretty comparable, to be quite honest. Um, guys that are vastly overpaid and cannot be the best player on a decent team. And by decent, I'm talking about like a, you know, like a five seed. Um, Bradley, what what kind of team is he the best on? Like he's clearly not even a, a 10 seed. He's not the he's not the best player on a 10 seed. Would you flip the two? I don't. I haven't looked at the contract, so I don't know mm. what would need to be, would to be put in there to make it work. <sighs> Towns for Beal. Do do we got to play it up a position? I'm 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 intrigued by it. I'm not. 
Rob says no. I'm no. I'm not, no, I'm not completely not annoyed by it. I just, I just, I don't know. I don't want a lot of. I don't want perimeter impediments. Yeah, to Anthony Edwards, tough. you know, it's just it's not tough, what I'm looking for. Like, and especially when you think. You know, and not a lot of people are like Kawhi, where it's like, yeah, I could be Paul Dominic with his three dribbles and I'm finished. You know, like Bradley Bill's not that kind of player. And again, he doesn't shoot it like that. So I don't know. And again, fina- financially, Minnesota is not the kind of situation that should want to absorb that contract. And that's- as rich as A Rod looked courtside, <laughs> he, looked great. he looked look great. So rich sitting courtside. Uh. A lot of finely pressed zip ups or like quarter zips going on there. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, let's do a suggestion box now. Um, and today's suggestion box is brought to you by State Farm. State Farm provides support when you start to question life's what ifs. They have a fresh take on insurance with agents who could help you over the phone in person or answer questions right away on the State Farm app. So no matter what life throws your way, State Farm agents are here to help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Um, Isaiah is not with us, so I'll read uh, today's option. This is from Chris Rose chiming in from the UK. He writes, Hi, Justin Waz, Rob. Just to note the order there. Wow. Guys, uh, love the podcast. <laughs> My question is whether the NBA has missed a trick with the in-season tournament and incentives for the playoffs. The incentives for the in-season tournament were released recently, and if we're being honest, don't do much for the wider team organization. Could the NBA have included a team-based incentive for winning, such as a guaranteed home court in the first round? Uh, the team would have been away from home. Basically, what he's alluding to uh, is in the new CBA, which is still ongoing. We don't know the whole thing, but we're getting the in-season tournament. And it seems like the only incentive is money. Uh, I believe it's like something like $500,000 for each player for winning the thing. And it goes down from there based on where you finish. Well, do you think it's enough to make this in-season tournament matter, which I believe is what Chris's question is, or does there have to be some more retooling here to impact, you know, home court advantage like they do for, for instance, the baseball all-star game? I don't know, man. It's this, this, there's these certain things that NBA players end up caring about. And I don't know that they happen by design, right? Like think about how many players care about like starting, for instance, more so than even closing, even. Like, there's just a, a prestige associated with starting. Or, like, a player would be like, I want my max, not a dollar less. That guy over there got the ex- got every single max. So that means his team really cares about him. There are these things that they, like, tend to care about and take pride in, and I wonder. But none of them ever seem to be goosed by the league itself. It's more, you know, born out of what basketball culture is. So I wonder how they can make this tournament a thing that players just intuitively care about. I wonder how they could, you know, lend some prestige or cachet to this tournament. Obviously, I'm going to watch it, you know, and, and folks drink at home. I'm, I'm, I think about the Premier League and something like the FA Cup. And I'm like, team, like certain years, a lot of teams care about this thing, this in-season tournament, right? I, and I wonder how the NBA would achieve that. I think money is the starting point, right? You're hoping that the money gets the ball rolling, creates some momentum for something like that. Because look, this is sports. None of this matters. Like a championship doesn't matter. Maybe you get a maybe you get a performance bonus in your contract, but it matters because people who care about sports make it matter. 
and right. the athletes who participate make it matter. And if we can get closer to that point with five hundred thousand dollars, let's do it. Like let's 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 dangle that carrot and see who cares. See if anybody wants that. See if it can give this thing some credibility and create some interest. But also, otherwise, ultimately, man, this stuff is on the players to feel like they want to put out a product that people should care about. You know, um, like that's like we see it in the regular season where they come out and it's not even that it's reflected in their play. They'll go on podcasts and say, I can't get up for scrubby teams and, you know, people the like. And that's Draymond Green, right? Four time every NBA championships. People the likes of Trey Young will come out and say how disinterested he is in the regular season. Right. Um, ultimately, it's their responsibility to make this into a product that people find compelling. It's going to be on them. It's not going to be some whatever dollar amount or whatever. It's going to be on the players to be like, no, nah, I'm going there to win. I'm going there to kick people's butts. That's what it's going to come down to to me. I just don't think humans work like that, you know? And like, I think there needs to be enough of incentive to give a shit because like, I don't know. They're just kind of just hoping that because it worked in soccer, that it's going to instantly apply here. I think at the very least, it's going to take a couple of years to like build like something. There has to be like a, a, a rivalry that, that spawns from this or whatever. It's like, this is going to be a long process. And I am also kind of, I have a half-baked take that I don't really fully believe in, but I almost wonder if Adam Silver's like very public lusting to try to be European soccer is actually doing the wrong thing where it's diminishing his own product, where he's mm. like, I really want to be this other thing rather than just kind of embracing how good the NBA already is. It's an optics thing. I don't know how much it actually matters, but I'm kind of like, can we just pump the brakes on on trying to be like the the Champions League here? Like I I think the I think the everything doesn't need to be hoop idea. I guess is what I'm saying. Like, can we just look love what we have? So America first, Justin Barrier. I, <laughs> I see your game. I see what you're up to. Uh, it, it, there's another. There's another problem though, right? Uh, there's a culture that media has absolutely participated in. Of if it's not an NBA championship, you're an idiot for trying to do it. Period. Yeah. It's it's it, it's a cult. Like why why are you celebrating a playing win? Pat Pat, what an idiot. He's celebrating his playoffs. They're going to the playoffs and he's jumping on the table. He's an idiot. So, like, we've created this culture where absolutely nothing else matters if you're not holding that trophy at the end of the season. That's what's been fed into it. Oh, Sam Hinkie's a genius because he loses a trillion games for the chances to draft Ben Simmons. Okay. We well, made that dude Angela a genius Embiid. to do that. You know, okay? They think it all right with some of those picks. Get, but listen, that's my point Hinky? is we we lauded this dude yeah. for completely crapping on hundreds of basketball games. We've created this culture where people don't give a damn about nothing else. Honestly, we've we've created these incentives in media as well. When people and like when Chuck's talking about the ring culture, he's right. When Dame's talking about the ring culture, these people are right. We've devalued a lot of this other stuff that, you know, let's face it, like, yes, people like me, you and Rob think are great. You know, these ra random regular season games and these moments of random greatness. But like out in the greater culture, man, we've 
bro, we have crapped all over this stuff all the time. I wonder how we would even build that back up with any credibility to fans, ultimately. See, this is why I like the idea of the cash prize. To me, if you make the prize for winning an in-season tournament home court advantage, for example, what you're doing, in my opinion, is saying that the rest of these regular season games that are not the tournament games, they don't, they really don't matter at all, right? You're yep. devaluing the thing you're trying to prop up. The NBA is notorious for creating lots of unintended consequences when they try to make structural changes. I think, you know, being con a little conservative here, doing more of a cash prize, not a formula like draft picks or structural advantage in the playoffs, that feels like the way to go. Well, I also wonder if by popping the in-season tournament in the middle of the regular season, they're already going to diminish the regular season because what's going to happen to the games leading up to this tournament? Well, they're, they're like aren't they like they're like cup games leading? I assume for seeding reasons or something like that. I know, but like, is Kawhi Leonard not going to play for two weeks going into this? Is nah. Paul George not going to play for two weeks coming out of this? Like, is there going to be more load management in order to make this work? It seems like, I, I, listen, I love how ambitious they're being. I think I'm going to watch this. I'm sure it's going to be fun. I, I probably would have rather seen like full scale lottery reform, where it just forced everyone to compete every single year in order instead of just like having the option to tank like we've talked about the wheel in years past i think that probably would have like made the regular season better and not have caused all these sort of byproducts that we're probably going to deal with but i'm i'm interested to see what happens ultimately I mean, that's a pipe dream, Justin. That's that's the election reform of the NBA. Like, we're just not going to get what we need at the end of the day when it comes to the NBA draft. So let's not let perfect be the enemy of good. Let's not let our our dream scenarios get in the way of something that could be really fun. Yeah. Um, we have actually one more suggestion box. Um, and it comes from longtime listener Benjamin Cruz here. Uh, local Bay Area legend. <laughs> wrestling podcaster extraordinaire. What's up, Ben? Yeah. Uh, hey, guys. Uh, first time, long time. Uh, you all seem uh, very well versed in the in the medical field. Yeah. With, with Rob, you're a doctor. Uh, was a professor. Uh, JV, you're a diehard Lakers fan, apparently. So I have a two I have a two parter here for you guys. Um, is an X-ray really necessary to reveal a sternum contusion, a.k.a. a bruise? And two, is it a HIPAA violation to request to see said bruise, because there's no way in hell Dematis Sabonis got a freaking bruise on his chest after his failed ankle lock attempt on Draymond Green. I'll take my answer <laughs> off the air. Peace. I'm going to let the White Brothers on this pod answer that bruise question. <laughs> I got to say, Waz, your, your Sabonis takes vis-a-vis -vis the stomp, I feel like our next level. He, he definitely got stomped. He... Uh, it was, bruh, it was a wrestling stomp, honestly. You think, where, you think Draymond slammed his other foot to make yeah, the noise as he was, was doing dude, it? Dude, he did not, like, really, like, curb stomp this dude. Like, really, like, put his all into, like, hurting this guy. That was not the case. It was a complete sell job. It was, the, the dude was acting. And he clearly grabbed and twisted that dude's ankle Definitely. Right before that, which is why he knew he had to do that. He was like, that's going to get reviewed. I'm going to be seen twisting this dude's ankle. And so he acted like he got shot. But come on, man. Trayvon ain't really kicked that dude. 
I like how Waz's response is anything short of American History X is like totally fine. Period. <laughs> Period. Just no so blood, we're on, no foul, baby. So we're all on the same page. Sternum contusion or no? This this Lies. suspension is bogus. Draymond Green should not be suspended for for game three. That's crazy. That's that's my point. Um, it, like if you could see that, if you see that stomp that we're calling it, and say that was like he had some extreme malicious malicious intent, meaning he was trying to hurt that man. I'm I'm sorry. You gotta leave whatever freaking bubble you were you you live in and like go see an actual fight somewhere out in the world that's not how people kick people when they are trying to hurt them i'm talking about seven year olds kick harder than that when they're fighting each other i promise you that guys yeah yeah get outside and go to a fight listener yes, <laughs> yes. it was more I, of like a a springboard like it was more like he was getting off a diving board and trying to like launch himself off of there. And he was doing so much in order to sell it that he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm being held behind that. It actually looked worse than it did. But I think the sad thing about this is, is it seems like the penalty was as much for what Draymond did afterward, which was, you know, probably shouldn't have done that. And the fact that like the league office just seems sick of him. Joe Dumars, who was in charge of handing out this suspension from the league office, <laughs> practically admitted to as much. He said that if it wasn't the history, if he didn't do the thing afterward, and then he didn't have the actual incident, like... Oh, he didn't practically admit it. It was in the press release that this was because of Draymond Green's history of these incidents. Like It was above board. That is the text, not the subtext. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I don't think... I don't- Really, I don't think this was suspension worthy, but I I don't while I don't think his quote unquote history, like are we counting the Steven Adams thing, which he already received the suspension for? Yeah. Because of the LeBron thing, you know, like if we're really counting that, I think that's kind of ridiculous. But also at the same time, I think if the league office is like, bro, we were at this game, he showed us up, essentially. Yeah. I think that's part he, of it. He showed us up. He made part. us look yeah. like idiots while we're at this game. And he's damn near inciting a whole riot in this freaking um stadium. I don't I don't see, I don't think that's wrong either. I I I think they had the right to suspend him. And I think Draymond has spent so much time behaving like an idiot. He's put himself in a position to get this suspension. So I'm not like mad at it. I just think. Man, the champs is down 0-2. You know, they're the most popular team in the freaking sport, and it's not even close. And you're just gonna do this. Their best, their their second best or third best player. You're just gonna bench them for the you know pivotal game of the series. I think that's corny. That's that's so short-sighted. I don't think this is the kind of thing that if they didn't suspend Draymond for, would like the game would have suffered for it. This is crazy to me. Yeah, bad results, bad for the entertainment value. Honestly, my favorite part of this was after the Kings announced that Sabonis had had this x-ray with the sternum contusion. There was also an announcement that Draymond Green was going to get an x-ray to Respect. examine his ankle. Asked for one. He asked didn't for actually, one. <laughs> we don't know if we got one, but it was reported that he asked for one. Love it. That was great. That, that was ultimate trolling. Uh, well, the good news is that E40 amidst all of this uh, is going to be allowed back into Golden One Center in Sacramento 
there was peace hashed out. They released the dogs. All he had to do was, everyone, all he had to do was call was 50. All he had to do was call 50 and 50 would talk to Vivek and it'd be straight. Yeah. Well, I mean, while we're punishing people for like the threat of recidivism for Draymond Green, I mean, excessive standing on E40's part. That's, you know, is he not going to do that again? Is, is he allowed to stand for, for potential, what, game game five? <sighs> All right. So today's suggestion box was brought to you by State Farm. Defend yourself against life's what ifs with State Farm. When you need to move quickly, you could rely on the State Farm app to answer your questions immediately. And for those more complicated plays, they have agents in the paint ready to field your concerns in real life. It's the type of competitive strategy that makes sure you're covered when and how you need so you don't have to pause for a timeout. And that's how you get a win. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Uh, we'll wrap it there. Thank you to Eduardo Campo for filling in on production. Thank you to Ben Cruz for calling in and, and also to Chris Rose in the UK for your response. Keep sending things in at suggestionbossgc at gmail.com. We've got two episodes a week now, so we'll need the material. Um, we'll be back Sunday morning to recap some of the action on Saturday. Uh, until then, we'll see you.